Offside with Andrew Gumbling and JJ Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught offside from God knows where. From an apartment in Brooklyn and a basement closet in Westchester. Andrew Gumbling and JJ Devaney. What's up, brother? Hey, man. How are you? How are you doing? This is. I, I, I need to apologize to uh, Mason Mount, I think. Because last week on the podcast, I made him my red card. And I was, and the basic point of my red card to him was essentially to say, dude, like, we're, we're a week in here and you're already going crazy and you're breaking quarantine. And like, come on, man. We're, we're faced with like six months, seven months, eight. Who knows how long we're going to be in this? Like, come on. Like, get yourself there mentally. That's not good enough. JJ, I've now been in quarantine for, I don't know, probably like six days, seven days. I don't even, time is, runs together. And I'm, and I think I'm losing it already. And I understand why he needed to break free. I uh, got a text message from you this morning that was on the edge is the best way to describe it. Uh, you were freaking out, freaking <laughs> out, freaking out about the thought of even having to record this podcast. How would it work? Yeah. And by the way, yeah. you, you, you did want to begin the podcast with, this is going to sound about as, how would you describe it, dodgy, as we've ever done. We've never done this before. No matter what, we've had podcasts where you've been in Ireland or where I've been in South Carolina or Philly. Like We've done podcasts from various parts around the world, but we've never done one where neither one of us are in studio. And currently, neither one of us are allowed to be. Uh, we've so we've is, done one from the back of a taxi cab in Kiev. Yeah. Yeah. But this is uncharted territory, though, where neither one of us are there. So all I can say is this is kind of like experimental podcasting for us. I know millions of podcasts do it this way. So, like, it can't be that bad. Can't sound that awful. This is, like, how it's done by probably the majority of podcasts. Most podcasts don't have, like, a state-of-the-art studio like what we use. So we'll be we'll be fine. Just know it's going to sound a little bit different for however long we are in quarantine, which is a thing that is happening in the world right now. We are in a quarantine. What? This is, this is madness. I guess before we really get into, like, the meat and bones of the podcast, we should just kind of say, like, what's going on in the world with pertaining to this sport. Um all kinds of reports are coming down daily. Uh, there was talk about uh, one of the most hilarious things that I think I've seen since all this started, JJ, was the initial report that La Liga wanted to start playing, what, like this weekend or last week? Like It was just the most ridiculous bar that they had set for themselves. Obviously, that will not be happening. La Liga is postponed indefinitely, much like everything else is right now. The Olympics, since we last spoke, are also postponed for a year. Uh, no surprise there. Once the Euros were postponed for a year. I mean, the writing was on the wall. I understand Tokyo's desire to hold out for as long as possible, but we all knew this was coming. It was never going to be sustainable to hold a worldwide global event um, this close to like the pandemic still being in, in the full throes of it. So we always knew that was going to be coming. It's a shame. I was looking forward to another summer of seeing the U.S. women uh, dominate, hopefully, but we'll have to wait a year. Uh, I guess the upside with that is potentially Alex Morgan will be fully back to herself um but we'll have to wait and see a year from now uh how things shake out yeah i i, I did not hear that or read that report about la liga i i don't know where that would come from because right now spain is in in such dire straits it's interesting sports illustrated have a piece up right now about 
how the Valencia and uh, Atalanta first leg is was like this um, petri dish for uh, coronavirus of the time. It, how how it was just just this disaster where these two masses of fans came together. One going, you know, you had all the Valencia fans going to Italy and then coming back again and the disaster that that may have been for the spread of the virus as well. Yeah, because those two countries really are kind of, at, like you said, that's kind of the epicenter of Europe right now are Spain and Italy. Uh, so, God, to think that a, a, a soccer game was kind of like the the match, the, the fuse that got lit to set that off throughout Europe and, and globally is it's kind of depressing, but that's really, that's well, really it's, where we're at now. Yeah, the, the the article is entitled A Biological Bomb, Atalanta versus Valencia in Milan linked to accelerating coronavirus outbreak. Um, yeah, uh, but we even spoke about the madness of, of Atleti fans. And it, I mean, it didn't seem mad at the time, although we were beginning to see more and more of, of just how they, quickly this thing can spread. But, you know, the three and a half thousand Aledi fans that went to Anfield, I mean, that just seems like craziness. Uh, by the way, on, on a personal on a personal note, because I, I, I did want to talk about this. Um, so at the weekend, myself and my girlfriend, we, we hadn't been feeling well for four or five days. And I spoke to a doctor who uh, is in our building and like it's very difficult to get tests unless you're unless you're basically unable to walk under the weight of your own lungs um then you're not getting a test uh but he he said considering the timeline and the symptoms he said that we would be diagnosed now as presumptive covid and so we've been dealing with that for the past week or so and let me tell you even as a young person this thing is no joke andrew it's I've never felt so fatigued in my life. I've never felt so many aches and pains, chills. Um, I got what Rudy Joubert, the uh, the basketball player, got as well. I've lost my sense of smell and taste. I think it's coming back, but um, thankfully I don't. Or so far, I haven't had like the 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 terrible effects in the lungs. But um, but I mean, my it, it, it's flattened my girlfriend. It's flattened me, and um, I only feel like the last couple of days I'm starting to come out of it. Well, apparently the worst of it is supposed to be in the first few days. So hopefully, once you get through that, which it sounds like you have, hopefully you're you'll be back to yourself soon enough. But yeah, but even even like even even doing things like people have been contacting me. You know the way I'd be very active on on social media and on Twitter and things like that. And I just have an inbox of stuff from people that I haven't got back to because. I, I I just haven't had the energy, and uh, I've been building up to this all day. I took a nap about an hour ago, um, just so just so I'd be fresh for it. But guys, just you can't mess with this thing. It's it's serious. Yeah, it, it really is. Uh, I'll tell you what, man. Should we? Let's do it. We've got you know in the midst of all this, like just like mock. We have what I think will be a fun podcast for you because obviously there's not games to really analyze right now so we have gone and uh i wasn't allowed back into the building to get our wheel um which was sad because it was i could see it in the window looking at me it was it was it was just like very sullen uh of a sight so what i've done is 
in the in my basement here, I have actually found a new wheel for us to still be able to play wheel of football. Uh, what, that that's amazing, Andrew. I do have one question. Did yeah, you, yeah. Did you tell Stacy the girl we hired to spin the wheel that she's no longer needed? Who? Stacy, the girl that spins the wheel. Like oh, like our, our like a Vanna White type. Yeah, we hired her last year. Oh my God, Stacy's still in the studio. Well, she'll be in quarantine. Good Lord. So I have my wheel in front of me now, JJ. And uh, we're going to spin it five times. This should be fun because these are uh, a lot of the topics that I put in the wheel tonight are kind of like outside the box, cool, like should, should spawn some fun conversation. You ready for the first spin? Go. All right, here we go. First spin of the wheel. And it lands on EPLPOD. Do you know what that means? Uh, player of the decade. Andrew. That's right, JJ. The EPL player of the decade. He we never really talked good. about this. Yeah, we we never really talked about this when the uh, when the teens came to uh, to a close. We never really did any kind of like retrospective look back at the last ten years. So I'm glad that this came up because I feel like we owe it to the people to at least say who we think our player of the decade was. Can I go first? Uh, you may, because I have multiple answers, of course. Of course you do. Um, I went with Sergio Aguero. I would hope that that's one of your multiple answers. Although you're an outside-the-box thinker, I'm sure you have some kind of like, you know, second keeper for Bournemouth, like Arthur Boritz or something is probably uh, your choice. No, I went with Sergio Aguero, JJ. Um, look, I don't really need to cite a lot of reasons why. We, we've been watching the league the last 10 years. He's clearly awesome. Um but I'll take this from Football 365. They said, no player has won more Premier League titles this decade. No player has won more Premier League Player of the Month awards uh, this or any decade. No player has scored more Premier League hat tricks this or any decade. He has nine consecutive campaigns of scoring in double figures. Um, that is one off of Frank Lampard's overall record for that category. He's fourth all-time in Premier League goals. He averages just over 20 per season, which is incredible. And I'm not including this season yet. Um, cause that average might come down. He's at like 20.5 goals per season, which is incredible. Uh, he's got 16, I think so far this year. So maybe that average comes down, but I still think it would keep him just above the 20 mark. Um, but, uh, yeah, Sergio Aguero, he scored God knows how many big goals he scored, maybe the biggest goal in the history of the league. Uh, so I feel, I feel pretty, I feel like this is a safe choice. I didn't really, I didn't really extend myself here. This was kind of the obvious answer, I think. Well, it's interesting, Andrew, because the BBC did a poll uh, in December, you know, trying to sort out this team of the decade, etc. And Sergio Aguero won the actual vote. Oh, uh, good. By, by some distance. So, I mean, I have, you know, I, I was thinking about this today. And by the way, this is my the least favorite of those uh, of the great questions you have on the wheel uh, for this podcast. I mean, I've actually very little issue with someone picking Sergio Aguero, but... I honestly feel, considering where he came from, the obscurity from which he came from, and the seasons that he's had since, I think N'Golo Kante is someone as well who can be rightly claim, um, or, or could, I suppose he doesn't do the things that Sergio Aguero does. He doesn't. He you know he wouldn't have. No, the I, I don't hate that. I don't hate that answer. But if you look, he's the first player to achieve the distinction of winning successive titles with different clubs. You know, and if you look at the impact he made on Leicester team, and then to be sold to Chelsea and do the exact same thing again, and in the process become PFA Player of the Year, 
I just think that's amazing. I was also looking at, uh, you know, someone like David Silva throughout that period and how important he was to Manchester City. And my other choice, I know it was maybe towards the start of that decade and he was gone from English football by 2014, but Luis Suarez, and particularly that 13-14 season with Liverpool, 31 goals and 17 assists in that season. And like he was good from the minute he joined the club. Um, I, I thought he was unbelievable. And it was a real shame that he didn't do another season in England and certainly a shame for Liverpool. But I have no problem with Sergio Aguero. I, I, I would still, I would maybe go towards N'Golo Kante with that amazing, crazy Leicester Premier League win that nobody saw coming. And then for him to be sold on and to have like zero time needed to fit in at Chelsea and to go and win the competition again and the PFA Player of the Year. Maybe, maybe N'Golo Kante for me. Yeah, that's fair. I don't want to leave this spin, though, without at least mentioning Eden Hazard, because I think, you know, if you're going to talk about Luis Suarez, I think Hazard did it in the league longer uh, over a more extended period of time. I would um, say, yeah, but Hazard as well had, uh, as we've often he had one, about, he had He had really one strange year, but I think that's, I think we know him well enough to know that that was an outlier. Hmm. Yeah, I'm all right with that. You You want to argue, but you don't have the energy is what's happened. Well, Andrew, I'm here, and that's the most important thing. <laughs> All right, you ready for another spin? I know you hated that question so much. It was like pulling teeth. All right, here we go. Uh, I've got my wheel, and I will spin it. Oh, very topical, very controversial. It came up on playing all 38. You know what that means? That means that the Premier League season will be finished, Andrew. So that's what they're saying. Um, I'm reading from Mark Ogden, JJ, who says, Sources have told ESPN that there is hope within the English game that fixtures could resume in early May. I would not hold your breath for that. Uh, Although it is likely that those would be played behind closed doors. Um, In a joint statement, the FA's rules and regulations state, uh, this is a joint statement um, from, I guess, the FA, the Premier League, all different governing bodies of sport in England. They said the FA's rules and regulations state that the season shall terminate not later than the June 1, and each competition shall, within the limit laid down by the FA, determine the length of its own playing season. However, the FA's board has agreed for this limit to be extended indefinitely for the 2019-20 season in relation to professional football. Additionally, we have collectively agreed that the professional game in England will be further postponed until no earlier than April 30th. Uh, so the fact that they have already declared that this is going to go beyond June 1st, um, and they're saying now that no matter what, they are going under the, uh, I guess, the assumption here that they're going to play all 38 games, regardless of where that takes us to in the end. Do you like it? No, I do. Um, I think it's absolutely essential that the season is finished. Like, you can't have an incomplete season. Um, I, I think it's very important for the for the game and, and even for the psyche of fans that they can they can look forward to, look, we've got this amount of games left and we're going to finish this season out. And hopefully when we get out of this thing, it's going to be such an ajo- a joyous event. Now, I've listened to Gary Neville speaking about how that might look and how many games that may take that if, you know, there's the worry that with the way this uh, coronavirus is developing, there's a good chance that it's going to crash into next season or what would be the demarcation point for the start of next season, which will impact next season and there'll have to be some kind of rejig of how next season is formulated. But the idea that we finish with this season um, and, and like Gary Neville talked about a festival of football, 
where they maybe run the games off in a, in a, I suppose, in a more rapid tournament style fashion. Maybe that happens, but whatever, the, the season needs to be finished. Football is part of our, you know, we, it's part of our calendar, really. It, it's, it's, it's how we formulate our, our years as fans and our seasons. So, so let me ask you, so let me ask you a question then. So let's say we're working on total hypotheticals. Let's say the season can't start. Let's say 2020 as a, as a calendar year is a, is just gone. It's just like a lost year where nothing happens. So let's say the earliest that they're able to start playing is we'll call it January 1st of 2021. So how will, like, how will these calendars work? Will they just, has there been enough time where they would feel like time off for players where they would feel comfortable finishing out this season and then pretty much like say what take like a small break like a two-week break and then just start the next season kind of just like one right on top of the other and then and then what though have some kind of break during euros um like i i just am i'm very confused i like it like i think it's the right move to to make sure they complete the season I, i really think it's the right decision that they're coming to but i don't know what this does to the the calendar moving forward from an EPL perspective and from the Euros perspective. But again, we're, we're guessing here, Andrew, we're, we're assuming that like, we don't know when is, we don't know when the, the acceptable safe point to go back playing football will be. We don't know when that will be. It could be at the end of the summer. It could be much like you're speculating. It could be much, much later than that. I would, I would almost tend to agree with that. Um, But I don't know. But all I do know that the finality and the closure of having a season finished out and the fact that they're focusing on that, I think, is a good thing. I think so, too. I think it's the right move. I certainly think if we're deciding between something like that or Karen Brady saying that the season should be nullified, I mean, come on. it's You, you just have to fall on the side of, let's finish this thing. We started it. Let's finish it. Like that's, I don't know. To me, the, the only option that doesn't work, if they want to be creative and try like some crazy stuff to determine relegation or whatever when we come back, like I'm way more on board with experimentation time than I am with nullifying the whole season. That can't happen. Do you know what I love about you, sweet, naive Andrew? You genuinely think that Karen Brady had any interest in in finding a solution other than to find a way to keep West Ham United in the Premier League again. Stop, please. Move on. Next spin. Here we go. And, oh, yes. All right, I like this question, as you can tell from my enthusiastic reaction. It came up on uh, game on repeat, which means, uh, so it's the quarantine. Um, If you've grown tired of whatever Netflix shows you're binge watching, the idea is you have to watch one game every day during this quarantine. But the caveat is it's a game that you can pick. So what are you choosing? One game every single day that you're in this quarantine. I can't do one game. That's ridiculous. I've picked four games. All right. Two Liverpool games. <laughs> well, two. all right. But yeah. <laughs> no. Okay. If you're, if you're going to give me one game, right, this is my one game. But then allow me to go on and tell you the other games that I will also be watching on repeat. So the, the one Don't game. because was- I have five. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Liverpool four, Borussia Dortmund three, April 14, 2016 at Anfield. All right. Uh, the big Dejan Lovren. That's right. The day that Dejan announced to the world that he was indeed the greatest player ever. And we'll go on to prove that in 2018 as one of the oh, best players in the world. 
right. The second game is uh, Manchester United 1, Liverpool 4, Saturday, March 14, 2009. Yugoslavia, and then I went with two for an international flavour. Yugoslavia 3, Spain 4 from Europe 2000. That was the final group game in their group. And Spain, uh, oh, what a game that was. Just unbelievable. Spain were actually scored two goals in time added on at the end of the 90. Uh, unbelievable. And uh, they were led from the centre of the park by a certain Joseph Pep Guardiola. And uh, the other game that I, that came back into, into sharp focus for me when thinking about this was that amazing game. I like to call it the roasting of Jan Vertonghen. Uh, but it was Belgium 3, Japan 2 from World Cup 2018. What a brilliant game that was. Wow. That's, that's a good choice. That's a good choice. Uh, so this was actually the easiest question for me of all the questions we had because Tottenham Ajax second leg uh, is a is an utter no-brainer for me um, I also considered Tottenham Man City second leg from last year's Champions League and I, I wanted to go back a little bit uh, to 2008 the um, even though they didn't win the 4-4 between Tottenham and Arsenal is one of my all-time favorite games with just the because I feel like it, for a game that you if you're gonna have to watch a game every day um, it can't be like, I, I was thinking about USA, Algeria, but like, not to say that there wasn't action, but like what, what made that game so tense was like, it, they needed the result. Nothing happened really during the game. It caused the tension to build until the goal scored. But if I'm going to watch a game every single day, I need a lot of action. So a four, right. four Spurs Arsenal felt like that fit the bill. I considered, I wanted to consider a USA one. And if I was going to throw the USA, Algeria one out, um, the original Dos Acero, USA, Mexico in the 2002 World Cup. But now let me, so I, this question was too easy for you and I. So let me, at le- let me add a caveat to it that makes it a little bit more difficult. Uh, well, you actually already kind of answered it. The caveat was going to be, it, it can't be a team that you support. But you kind of did that with your Spain, Yugoslavia. Uh, and my Be- Belgium, Japan. And Belgium. Yeah. yeah. So, so let me give you mine. Uh, I would consider Man City QPR um, on the final day of the season. It, it was just such an epic game. I could watch that. Just, I don't know, uh, historic. Uh, and then my other but, one, but, what? Well, I just wanted to pick you up on that. Like, City were supposed to run away with that game. Does does that not just change? But they did. Does that not change the dynamic a little for you? Yeah, I suppose. They scored twice in ex- in stoppage time. Like, it was crazy. No, what you're happened? right. You're right. All right. Well, whatever. It doesn't matter. This is all opinion. You can't tell me my opinion is wrong. It's what I want to watch. I'm not going to force you to watch it. But the other one that I think I ultimately would pick was the game that spawned the Ray Hudson game for us. Uh, Ray Hudson Jeopardy or whatever it was that we played that day. The uh, 2017, April 23rd, El Clasico, um, Real Madrid and Barcelona. The 3-2, Messi scored the winner uh, deep in stoppage time. It's one of the best, honestly, of the last 10 years, I think it's one of the best games that I've seen. Just the quality of play that day from both teams. Real Madrid, I think I think shots were something like 22 to 18. So many good chances. Every goal was a great goal in that game. Uh, I think that might be the one that I go with if it's a team that, I, that I'm not allowed to support. That was a great game, and it spawned an even better uh, game show, which even Ray listened to and, and seemed to enjoy. Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, B in Sports sent us a Ray Hudson button. You've seen it. I have it at my desk where they sent us, you know, like Staples has the easy button 
um, from when they had the ad campaign of that was easy. Like where you would hit a button and at Staples, it just said that that was easy. Well, being sports made a Ray Hudson button like that, where they sent one to us, I guess, after they heard the segment uh, where you just, it's a picture of his face screaming and you punch the button and it's some kind of like Ray Hudsonism. Uh, sadly, that has also been left behind with our other wheel. Sad. Uh, the the most fun about that whole Ray Hudson game, Andrew, was Ray Hudson himself tweeting because somebody obviously tweeted a link at him, and he right. and he tweeted the two boys just having a good laugh. Yeah, he you took know? it. He took it in the spirit of which it was intended. Yes, but beauty, it, beauty of him. If you remember correctly, I simulated in a scenario where Phil Shane was in a bar chatting up a lady. And Ray couldn't let him have his moment. He just interrupts. Oh, he's going to talk to that lady. Yeah, no subtlety with Ray in the room as your wingman. Ready for the next spin? Go. Here we go. We got two left. Failed transfers. All right. This category being, uh, give me a transfer that wound up not working, but like, one that still surprises you to this day, like one that you might have come on our, our like preseason show and said that's going to work, and by the end of the year you're you're considering it one of the worst transfers of the season. Uh, Andrew, I've gone with uh, Juan Sebastian Varane, uh, uh, who joined Manchester United in 2002, and it's funny because Rio Ferdinand in these quarantine times he did an Instagram live, and and somebody must have asked him about it because the Murr picked up the quotes. So I was always curious as to as to why it didn't work out. Now, I, I, I think I knew why it didn't work out in that there was too many good United midfielders at the time. If you look at that United midfield, there was in the wide positions, there was Beckham and there was Giggs. And then in the center, you had Keane, Scholes, Butt, and then they signed Juan Sebastian Varane. So something's got to give in there. Now, um, this is what Rio Ferdinand said about uh, Varane. He was an unbelievable player, great passer. The only thing the only thing I think that killed him was Roy Keane was probably a bit more of a dominant personality and was picking up the ball in his positions. You have to remember Varane came from Lazio and Parma where he was the main man. The whole game went through him. He came to United and that's what Roy Keane did. Keane came and got it off the defenders, passed it through to the midfielders and attackers and got in positions and was very vocal, like, yeah, give me the ball, give me the ball. And out of respect, probably, Seba just said, I let Roy keep doing that. But Seba was an amazing talent. I honestly think without Roy Keane there, he might have flourished in Manchester United shirt. I think Roy Keane was his problem. And it wasn't Roy Keane's fault. It's just that his personality was bigger and more overpowering. I thought that was really, that was kind of interesting because... People forget just how good Keane was at that time. And he did dominate games. And it's all right saying that Juan Sebastian Varane probably had a better range of passing than Keane, although some people would argue that. He was probably a, a more skillful technical passer than Keane. But, like, if you're not on the ball, it doesn't really matter. Andrew, yeah. that signing lasted one season. It went so badly that uh, United were quite happy to offload. I don't know. Quite happy is not the right term, but they they offloaded him to one of their rivals, Chelsea, at the, for this uh, in two thousand and three. They sold Veron. They got they got rid of him, um, and it also spawned one of the great Fergie lines. And I've got to be careful not to swear here. So, yeah, um, so during the during a press conference where things were starting to go 
on the turn for Varane because he started quite well for United and then it kind of just drifted away and he wasn't in the team. And, and when he was in the team, he wasn't having a great impact. And so uh, a journalist, uh, a couple of journalists kept questioning Fergie and Fergie got very upset about this. And Fergie said, um, came out with the classic line. He goes, one Sebastian Varane is one of the greatest pay- players in the world and you're just effing idiots. <laughs> and then he so, sold him you know, later that year. I mean, yeah. I mean, Fergie was never afraid to uh, to take the needful action if things weren't working out. But I just thought it was so funny. He launched this defense of him and then sells him at the end of the season. But, uh, yeah, that's one of those where I, I'm delighted as a Liverpool fan it didn't work out because if there was a way to make a Scholes, Keane and Varane midfield click together, that would have been devastating. They were devastating as it was. Uh, let's see here. So I actually have a couple uh, taking a page out of your book. This first one, I'll be curious for you to weigh in on because it involves your team. Um, I don't know. I was really surprised that Christian Benteke at Liverpool didn't work. I thought he was great. Like I really, both for Crystal Palace, for Belgium, 10 goals and 42 appearances at Liverpool. Um, I mean, look, he scored that one incredible goal against Manchester United, but that was that's all he did. And it just always surprised me that he was like, I, I just kept thinking, okay, maybe he just needs time to acclimate. And you just like kept waiting and waiting. And then he was gone. Yeah. Um, but did you ever think that Christian Benteke was going to be a fit for either the way Brendan Rodgers played or subsequently Jurgen Klopp? Why not? What do you why? mean, why not? Yeah, I'm asking, why not? Well, first of all, uh, if we take it from just the point of view of, I mean, Rodgers' teams, um, Rogers' teams would have uh, he was a, an old classic center forward and Rogers' teams passed the ball to death so what's he doing when he doesn't have the ball he didn't link the play particularly well he didn't do any of those things so that was a square peg in a round hole and also say say there's a game in which Brendan Rogers wanted to press and which would then you know subsequently be something under Jurgen Klopp that you would have to do Benteke was not that kind of player, Andrew. He was not capable of doing those things. Always surprised me. Then I also have uh, Fernando Torres from Liverpool to Chelsea, simply because it's kind of a cliche answer, but simply because I I don't know how anyone could foresee a guy going from maybe the best player at his position in the league to what he then became at Chelsea, where he never registered double-digit goals in the Premier League again uh, after making that move. And God, I mean, you remember how lethal he was at Liverpool. Um, and then I have one more here, unless you wanted to weigh in on that one. Uh, Can I, I, go, have one more. I have to go in on that one as well. If you, li- if you listen to um, uh, Jamie Red, uh, not Jamie Redknapp, Jamie Carragher talk about, say, his last 18 months at Anfield, he, like, quite apart from the fact that he wanted to leave the club and he, he didn't want to be at Liverpool anymore, and that was definitely affecting his demeanour and the way he acted uh, – around the training ground. Uh, Carragher reckons that he was in decline, Andrew, that the, the toll of the injuries that he'd had over the past few years, and let's not forget, it was not an injury-free time for him at Liverpool, and that he felt that by the time he got to Chelsea, his best, uh, his peak seasons were well behind him. Uh, and then last but not least, I did want to take one from outside of the league. I went to La Liga. Um, count me as somebody who, after watching the 2014 World Cup, bought the James Rodriguez hype. And that's not to say that he's 
not a good player because I think he has shown in moments that he is, but it has not worked for him at Real Madrid. Started well his first season, 13 goals and 13 assists in his first year with the club, but then he's never been able to replicate that since, whether it's been through injury or whether it's been through, for whatever reason, him just not being able to lock down a consistent first-team place um, on that squad. Yeah, it's a tough squad to break into, but I just always thought that he was of a level where he could. Um, only seven appearances this season. Seems like he wants out badly. Uh, and for whatever reason, Real Madrid has been slow to sell. He did have his loan with Bayern Munich for a couple seasons, which was okay. Uh, but that's one, after watching that World Cup, I really, I got sucked in. And maybe that's kind of like the fool's gold sometimes of a World Cup. But he was great uh, before that World Cup at Monaco. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. That's one that, for whatever reason, didn't work out that to this day kind of surprises me that it never clicked. Yeah, I was never his biggest fan, but there's no doubt he had talent. And I guess he's just been kind of searching for a home unsuccessfully. And, um, uh, you know, when I guess when Munich didn't really want to push on with the project, that, that was another blow to his career. Uh, all right. One more spin. Here we go. Okay. Last one. And it lands on, oh, Hollywood producer. I could see you liking this one. Uh, all right. Uh, that means this. Give me a soccer subject that, to the best of your knowledge, uh, no book or movie has been made about yet that you think would make for a great book or movie. Um, my girlfriend suggested this today because when we, I was talking, I was kind of bouncing things off her and see, seeing what she thought. And uh, she said, Greece winning Euro 2004. and. I was like, huh, <laughs> I don't think, now I'm sure there's been a book done about it, but I don't think there has been a movie done about it. And I think it's prime Hollywood material. Andrew, I went back and I read a couple of things surrounding that tournament again for myself. And I read a piece when Rory Smith used to write for us, for ESPN, before he went to New York Times, he kind of did a retrospective of your 2004. And... Did you know, Andrew, Greece hadn't won a game at any major tournament ever. And that Otto Ray, Otto Ray Hagel going into Euro uh, 2004, he basically set a very modest aim. He said, guys, let's try and win one game. Let's not, if we, if we win one game, we will have achieved our main aim for this tournament. We can be very pleased with ourselves. We obviously don't want to get hammered in the other games. But let's just win one game. And what did they do? They won their first game 2-1 against the host, Portugal, which was basically the epicenter, the peak of Portugal's golden era team because some of those players were going to be too old when the next cycle came around. And Cristiano, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo was obviously young at the time. So this was like the, the peak moment for Portuguese football. And still, Greece found a way to win. And... I'd forgotten some of the wins they had in that tournament, Andrew. They went on then and they beat France. And this was the France of Bisson Lizarazu, Thierry Henry and, uh, and Zinedine Zidane. Went on and beat them. And then you think, okay, well, who did they play then in the semifinal? They played the Czech Republic. Again, another team that would never reach those heights again. That was the Czech Republic's golden era. Thomas Rizicki and all those guys, etc. And then they go to the final to beat Portugal, and you think it can't happen again. 
there's no way they'll beat the host twice in the one tournament. And they went and did it. Now, they were the most hated Cinderella story I can ever remember because every think piece that was written after that tournament was how Greece represent the decline of the European game. And what can we do, what can we do to wrest football from the grasp of the Greeks and, and teams like them? But honestly, there's just a really great uh, film there. And I would be trepidatious about handing such a thing over to the uh, to Hollywood executives because, let's be honest, they'd make them play the most unbelievable sexy football and totally rewrite that tournament. But, um, but yeah, Greece, Euro 2004. Greece won the European Championships, Andrew. What? Amazing. That's pretty good. Uh, let's see. I brought it back uh, stateside, actually, JJ. I went with – I have a couple here. Um, I think this kind of just happened, um, and something tells me there might be a book or a documentary or something about it coming down the pike. But uh, the whole Save the Crew movement, I don't know. Anytime that, like, you feel like a fan base we're, – we're so conditioned to believe that fans don't really have a say in sport. And it felt like this was actually a moment in American sports uh, where the, the voice of the fan actually helped keep a club in its city. I just think that's such a cool story, and I, I, it's a story that I hope gets told. And I'm sure it will, because it seems like it's just kind of, like, made for that sort of thing. And then um, I also wouldn't mind a movie about Chuck Blazer. Don't you feel like he's probably one of the most interesting characters in the history of American soccer? Everything from his apartment for his cats to basically, I mean, he became like the guy who turned, right? Who helped bring down FIFA. Like he became an informant. I mean, um, it, so I, when you don't pay your taxes, Andrew, that's generally what tends to happen. It's like you cooperate with the feds or, well, you do jail time yourself. And he did, he ended up, he did so much more than that. And that's why he's, his is such a complicated legacy and why it will be such an amazing film. The modern day CONCACAF as we know it and U.S. soccer as we know it, even MLS, that all came from people like him, like Blazer. Like the idea that he wasn't just some like some weirdo living in a tower in New York. He was a part of the firmament of North American soccer. I mean, he came up with the idea that... uh you know, of the Gold Cup. It was it was his idea. He saw something in soccer way before anybody else did. Like, look, did he feather his own nest with the money? Sure, definitely did. Did he pay his taxes properly? He did not. But at the same time, we don't have a lot of the things that we've taken as staple in the North American game without Chuck Blazer. Who plays him? I would say John Goodman. I'm curious if you have one. You're stealing that from me. We had this conversation before, and I oh, suggested John Goodman. Yeah, I don't remember that. All right, let yeah, me that... think of another uh, heavy set. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that. Well, yeah, he's then he's perfect. He'd be perfect for it. Um, I, can I go back what? to one of you the? I, what's that? I wanted to go back real quick to the one where if we had to watch a game on repeat for the rest of quarantine, which one we choose. Can I do the opposite of that? If you were being like tortured and had to watch a game every day uh, that you just like, that you hated, what would it be? Oh my God. Uh, it would be the Republic of Ireland versus Egypt. The second game of the Italian 90 world cup. That was just absolute brutality. So awful blazing hot 
day in the middle of it was in, I think it was in Palermo uh like in the middle of the day and Ireland just played wretchedly and the Egyptians were just happy to get a point it was nil nil absolutely brutal and indeed probably the final of that tournament was pretty awful too either of those uh oh my god terrible you don't hear many many positive things said about that tournament um you look for things beyond football you look at the soundtrack you look at the fact that it was the first time that Ireland had qualified for World Cup for me and it introduced me to the world's game. It was the first World Cup that I was conscious of. But you're right. It was, if you took, I suppose England did well and Cameroon were kind of a fun watch from Africa. Otherwise it was, yeah, it was, it was tough to watch. And it was the World Cup that changed all World Cups, Andrew. Um, after that tournament, they decided, look, this whole idea of, passing the ball back to the goalkeeper, him bouncing it around the box, rolling it out, passing oh. it back to the ball, goalkeeper. Oh. I mean, to kill games. Th- think about that. Think about what, ha- what would happen to the game if you reintroduced that to yeah. football right now. Disaster. Torture. By the way, if your answer is not USA Trinidad, then you're just wrong. I'm sorry. There's an objective answer to this question, and you, you, you didn't get it right, and I feel bad for you. No, um, everyone tells me to stop talking about that game. So I'm. Well, that's the for that's for a reason because it's it's the game that we shall not speak of. But it would be torturous to be forced to watch on a daily basis. I'll tell you what we have. Do you have a mailbag? Because we're, if you do, we'll get to that in a minute. But first, I need to tell you something, JJ, because you've heard us talking about hymns and how they're helping guys look their best. If you haven't yet, it's time to see what they're all about. Because as you know, sixty-six percent of men start to lose their hair by age thirty-five, and once you've noticed thinning hair. Oh, it's it's just too late. The best way to prevent more hair loss is to do something about it while you still have some on your head. Why do guys turn to weird solutions or do nothing when they can turn to medicine and science? 4 a one-stop shop for hair loss, skincare, and other wellness supplements for men. It's time to write a new chapter, one in which you have hair. Hims is helping guys be the best version of themselves with licensed phys- uh, physicians and FDA-approved products to help treat hair loss. Hims was created by a guy who knows some uh, men's health conversations are easier online than in person. So it's all done over the internet. No more awkward in-person doctor visits or long pharmacy lines. 4Hims connects you to real doctors online, which could save you hours. Completely confidential, totally discreet. Answer a few quick questions. A doctor will review. And if they, deter- uh, if they determine it's right for you, they can prescribe you medication to treat hair loss that is shipped directly to your door. So here's the dealia, Celia, right now. Our listeners can get started with their first month free. Go to forhims.com slash offside. That's forhims.com slash offside. Prescription requires an online consultation with a physician who will determine if a prescription is appropriate. Offer valid only if prescribed. Three-month minimum subscription. Additional restrictions apply. See website for full details and important safety information. Remember, that's forhims.com slash offside. Oh, let's see now. Do you have a mailbag? I have a mail, BZ, Andrew. Oh, you've um, told me none of the submissions, so I'm going to be thinking completely on my feet here. Well, no, you were so stressed earlier, I didn't want to burden you with anything related to the pod. <laughs> so I kept it from you. Um, let's start off with some emails. Uh, this is from Kevin Smith. Hi, guys. Love the podcast. I'm a silent listener who almost never reaches out, but nevertheless appreci- appreciates all that you do. I just tweeted a condensed version of this until I found the email address. I was struck last week when you were talking about players that look World War One ish That was like two weeks. 
you know, uh, who who are we describing? Oh, yeah, 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 James Milner. That's because right. it's a comment I make of Harry Wilson from Bournemouth every time I see him. <laughs> that guy looks like he stepped out of a World War One photo. And I, I thought about that for a second. That's probably true. He looks like he's just been drafted. And um, someone's just shouted at him, you boy, what are you doing? Why, sir, I'm a member of the King's Riflemen. No, you're not. You're too young. Um, yeah. My main purpose of this email is to ask you for your discussion on the fairness of CONCACAF World Cup 2022 qualifying. As a Canadian, I'm excited that we have the best team in years and one good enough to challenge in the hex. However, World Cup qualification was reduced to simply deciding the hex based on FIFA rankings. With Canada in seventh behind El Salvador, our chances don't seem good, but it seems unfair that we don't have a chance. The FIFA rankings are notoriously unreliable, and there's no good reason why Canada, who reached the quarterfinals of the 2019 Gold Cup, are behind El Salvador, who fell at the group stage. We also beat USA for the first time in 28 years, but that didn't count for much. I can't believe FIFA is not requiring CONCACAF to do a full qualification giving everyone from Mexico to Montserrat a fair shot. Using the FIFA ranking seems like handpicking the usual favourites, leaving teams like Canada and Panama out in the cold with little voice to do anything about it. I agree with every word he said. I, I hate, we talked about this when, when CONCACAF made the change. I hate it because we always say the FIFA rankings are flawed. It's like, how can this be the system? We had a meritocracy in place and it feels like they've just done away with it. And I, I feel terrible for Canadian fans because you do have a good team. And I don't know if the system will allow you to get to the World Cup. Well, now the argument that CONCACAF would throw back is that, oh, well, the Nations League is a ranked tournament in which you can re- improve your ranking to put yourself in the frame to be compa- to be, um, to be in, the, in the group that will um, ultimately or hopefully get you to qualify for the World Cup. But I don't like the new system either. Um, I think it's it's weighted towards the bigger sides in CONCACAF. And um, I'm not sure I'm not sure they needed to change that, but they did. And um, look, Kevin, we've talked about it several times. Like I, I actually think Canada should be at the uh, they should be in the the qualification mix proper and that they shouldn't have to jump through hoops to try and get to to this World Cup. And I think they're good enough too. But, um, yeah, that's not going to – I guess they can't change midstream now, Andrew, right? No, no, this is the way it is. It's it's unfortunate. Um, this is from Rod Murphy. Lovely email that I think might cheer everyone up. Dear Andrew and JJ, I've been with you since the 2013-14 school year and still kick myself for not taking out a loan in order to have been present in Manhattan for the Champions League final watch party, if only to have been among those who stood you around as a way of saying thanks for all the joy you have given me. A moment ago, I heard you sign off with the rousing endorsement of the U.S. women's national team and a generous-hearted salute to Benny. So where do we all go from here? For the love of all that's holy in the game, we all love. For the sake of your own warts and all friendship, which you have shared with us, and in order to preserve the future of rap battles yet unwaged, keep the pod rolling. I, for one, hereby promise to listen as you dig up former players to interview as you talk to writers like Franklin Furr about the impact of our game on global culture, as you investigate the Messiah method or discover what drives the most successful club, high school and college programs. Please find a way, your way, any way, which way to continue convening the community of listeners you have created. We are up against it in this war against COVID-19 
and your pod will be a much-needed touchstone of playful creativity centered on what is the only truly global game. May the good Lord keep you and you are safe. I cannot thank you enough for all the hours of provocation, entertainment, enlightenment, and fellowship. Very gratefully yours, Rod Murphy, East Lansing, Michigan. Let me tell you something about Rod. Rod is not blowing smoke when he says he's been with us from the 2013-2014 season. He certainly has. And um, more than that, Andrew, Rod is a purveyor of the lost art of the handwritten letter. He sent me a beautiful handwritten letter, I think, last year. And, of course, me being the enormous scumbag that I am, I have not replied. And it is to my, oh my uh, eternal embarrassment. Not a good guy. Not a good guy. That was a very nice letter I from did. him, though. No, bad guy. But thank No, it's lovely. Thank you, Rod. And stay safe, please. Um, Joel Harrison. While listening to the last pod, great as always, despite no football, my wife overheard you guys asking for games in the past that matter. And she said they can do Hand of God Maradona or When Zidane Get Buck, which means headbutted. Hmm. Yeah. The background to this request is that she hates you guys because when she wants to listen to music in the car, I'm playing you guys. Every time she hears your guys' intro, she rolls her eyes. <laughs> I think we are I think we are converting her slowly, so I'm asking that you give her a shout-out, and so one of her suggestions to the conversation can be completed. Um, Those are great Joel, options. Joel wanted, when, it, when his country, Jamaica, qualified in, in 98, but he wants to make his wife smile. Those are good ones uh, that we could do. Her name is Kaz by the way. So hello to you, Kaz. We're sorry that you don't get to listen to um, Madonna or whoever you're into. I don't oh even know. Oh my God, what year is sorry. this? Sorry, sorry. Sorry you don't get to listen to Dua Lipa uh, or someone like that. Oh my God, I saved myself there, didn't I? Um, yeah, so so Joel, we will make an attempt to, uh, to keep Kaz happy. Uh, by the way, people are sending in lots and lots of suggestions for our time machine where we do a caught offside emergency podcast on a game from way back in the day and uh, we're getting some really good um some really good submissions of ones that are very doable and some not so good ones and here's liam crossy barreling into the conversation with a not so good idea uh actually that's a bit unfair this is probably a great idea but i'm i think it might be tricky to do um hey lads on the last pod you guys asked for submissions for older games to cover on emergency podcasts i would like to throw in my submission in the form of the united states v england matchup during the 1950 world cup oh can we do it in old timey announcer voices oh yeah we can how would we, how how does your old timey voice announcer voice sound oh the boys in blue have really come out and stunned the boys in white today oh Oh, that's a wonderful victory for the Yankees as they as they defeat those those toffee English. Uncle Sam will certainly be happy with this one. <laughs> oh, there'll be kisses from all the beautiful women when they return with this victory. That sounds like it, a really enjoyable listen. It might be. It'll have to be slightly of the era, so slightly sexist as well. You know. <laughs> oh wow, that's the route you want to go with it. Interesting. It was Andrew. It was the nineteen fifties. Um, it's not the route I want to go with it, not in the current climate. I don't think even the humor would be found in that. Uh, it no, may be tricky. Not. 
It may be tricky to find testimony from those who were in attendance. It might be tricky, Liam. Yeah. But how can we ignore one of the tournament's biggest shocks? Plus, it would be a cool history lesson. Thank you both for powering through and putting out the podcast during a confusing and anxious time. I hope you are both well, as we hope you are too, Liam. And um, Liam goes, P.S. Forgive me if I'm late handing in my submission. Time is a bit confusing right now. We know what you mean. But look, yeah. what we're going to do is we're going to try and put them together as many as as we can. Do you know what's um, front of the queue right now, Andrew, for our throwback podcast? No, what? The 2009 Confederations Cup semifinal versus Spain. Oh, yes. One of my all-time favorite games. The Aguchi and Yewu game. Yes, yes, yes. So good. Him and Jay Demerit were so good. I can't wait to talk about how great they were. Uh, is that it? Uh, that is, well, because the mailbag is being dominated basically by entries for our emergency podcast, Back in Time, Westworld Extravaganza. So, yeah, that's the, uh, that's the mailbag for now. All right. So you told me you have a critic's corner. Is that accurate? That is accurate. Okay. Let me do something right now because even though we're not in our studio, I think I can... If I just think hard enough, if I just will it to up. It's the Critics Corner with J.J. Devaney. This podcast is reaching new levels of gecko. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, this is uh, one by... Uh, okay, you can stop the music now. It's annoying. Oh. Uh, this is... Um, this is... Okay, just stop. Thank you. This one is uh, suggested by uh, our listeners. Um, so the English game is a six-part series that has dropped on Netflix, and it's by Julian Fellows, creator of Downton Abbey. Andrew, I got to ask, were you a Downton Abbey American kind of person? Never seen it. No. Uh, wildly popular. I've never watched it either. But I did today watch the first episode of the English game. Andrew, we begin our tale... In the early 1880s, as association football, codified and rules set by the old Etonians, is under challenge as the preserve of the gentleman by the emergence of teams like Darwin, a working class side put together by mill workers from Lancashire. Uh, the teams meet in the quarterfinal of the FA Cup and changes in the air as Darwin's owner has drafted himself two players from Scotland who have a totally transformative view of the game and the whiff of paid involvement. So... This is based on actual events, true events, the formation of the professional game in England, in Britain, rather, as we know and love today. It all started then, and um, it's interesting to... Is this a good show? I'm not sure, basically. Right. So we but, got there. But I'm in, I actually enjoyed it. First of all, in this kind of content wasteland, you know, you're going to embrace anything that new that comes across your screen. I, I got to say, I did enjoy episode one. And um, I, I'm very careful about spoilers here, but it's this real kind of clash of, of, of cultures. And anyone who watched Downtown Abbey, Downtown Abbey is basically the English class, um, revolu uh, not the revolution, but the, uh, the haves and the have-nots of English society and... Um, all within this kind of one micro space um, called Downton Abbey. And this is kind of looking at class warfare, or maybe not class warfare, but basically the game as, as, as understood by the gentlemen of the era is being taken over by the working class 
And this is kind of the beginning of that moment, the beginning of that movement. And um, there's a there's a couple of things um, I find curious about the game, uh, or about this 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 episode that I've watched. One of the things that I find really interesting um, is, first of all, is the kit that they wear, Andrew. So in the 1880s, it's they they try, and I think they've done a fairly good job of representing what the jerseys would have looked like and and the football boots of the time are they're basically like boots you'd oh see my a hipster, God. You're getting a hipster in Williamsburg wear wearing. Yeah, no no no, it's I found that, you know, curious because I'm like how could they possibly play in this? But they obviously did it during the time. Um there is another part to it that I find a bit problematic and I'm wondering if other people will notice this too. So the Scottish player who was being paid by the owner of the mill in Darwin. He came down from Partick to play and uh, basically is being paid to play so that they can win the FA Cup. And this is against the rules because it's still very much an amateur game at this point. And this is the kind of the, the first move towards professionalism. But Andrew, he looks as if he's got moves that were not of the time. Like when he cuts the ball... It looks like somebody from the Ronaldinho. 80s. Well, not quite like Ronaldinho. We'll get to him later, by the way. But not quite like Ronaldinho. But so I think of like who were the who were the first wing wizards or who were the first dribblers in the English game. So you're thinking the 1940s and 50s with um, uh, Tom Finney and Sir Stanley Matthews, and even the way they dribbled was very kind of rigid and then as we move forward when George Best started doing and and doing what he was doing and Pele were doing what they were doing it was so mind-blowing because nobody else was doing it uh, we've never seen anybody move with the hips like this drop the shoulder cut from left to right and then by the time we got to Jinky Johnston of Celtic in the in the 1970s it had moved on a whole another direction and I'm watching this guy and I'm like, no, come on. You've made him too good. And that's a fatal flaw for someone like me. If this is what Critics Corner has become, I don't know if we can continue doing it. I mean, that was just a 10-minute diatribe to basically get around to saying, I'm not sure if you should watch this show. No, you should. I said. In I the, checked out hours ago. In the content landscape that we have right now, which is a barren wasteland, Andrew, you should watch as much football content as possible. By the, do you want to hear what really annoyed me? I might add, no. I'll add, I'll add this on to. This is a different thing. So I'm watching, I'm watching Succession right now, and uh, this is not a spoiler because it's not, it's not germane to the the main story, but um, basically the uh, Logan Roy is the big media figure who's originally from Scotland and has taken over right wing news in America and started this enormous company. That's the basic premise of Succession. And in the episode that I watched last night, it absolutely annoyed me so much. He goes back to Scotland to be honoured by his local community from whence he emerged, you know, 50, 60 years ago. And his son, born in America in his early 30s, a rich brat, buys him his favorite football club, Hearts. So he comes over to him at the reception and he goes, Dad, I bought you 
I bought you your favorite team. And he goes, who did you buy? And he goes, I bought you Hearts. Hearts aren't my favorite team. It's Hibs. And I'm like, I'm like, are you serious? Like, it, I cannot tell you how this got under my skin. That, and, and, and it got under his skin too. And he goes, uh, um, uh, Logan Roy's son goes, are you sure they're your favorite team, dad? And he freaks out. He goes, of course I know my favorite team that I've been supporting for 50 years. And it annoyed me so much. But anyway, that is just an add-on to the Critics' Corner. That is more soccer content within a succession. Look out for that as we go through these chastened times. Yeah, uh, the English game, Julian Fellows. Don't think it's, I don't think it's going to be a classic, but it's worth, worth a watch. All right. Uh, red card, can I go first? Yes. All right, I'm going to give mine uh, to Cesc Fabregas for welching on a massive bet. Uh, basically, he just revealed the story from when he was at Chelsea um, where he was practicing penalties after training one day, and he, uh, I guess, bet Willie Caballero, who was a net, that he that Caballero would not be able to save his next penalty. Um, and so Fabregas, he was so confident of this that he said he would buy Caballero a Range Rover if he managed to keep the penalty out. Uh, and now Fabregas is quoted as saying, unfortunately for me, he saved it in front of the whole team, so you can imagine how it went. I went from feeling the most confident to feeling the most stupid guy on earth. Everybody obviously was shouting and laughing that I had to pay my debt. Uh, however, J.J. Fabregas quickly realized that he had never stipulated what condition the vehicle had to be in. So to get out of spending the 50,000 pounds on a new model Range Rover, he instead paid a visit to his local scrapyard he said, I found a destroyed Range Rover that couldn't be used at all for 950 pounds. So I said, you know what? I'll get that one, Fabregas added. That is wrong. That is welching on a bet. That is not the spirit of what this was about. Uh, and if I were Caballero, I'd be furious. It would almost be a friendship-changing moment, I would say. Andrew, you saw the video, though. Caballero's laughing his head off. I understand. The the. Caballero probably didn't actually expect a Range Rover for saving a penalty during training. But still, Although, don't make a bet that you can't keep. It kind of goes to show the, you know, the kind of money we're talking about here with these players that that could actually be something that could be conceived of. I will say, I once had somebody welch on a bet with me that I won for $400, which doesn't sound like a ton, but I don't I don't have a ton of money. <laughs> like That's something. Oh, and he never paid me. $400? Yeah, he gave. So the bet was. You want me to tell you the story? It's kind of funny. It was back in 2007, and the Patriots had just won, and I think they had just improved to 10 and 0. And so I was working, and the guy next to me uh, was also working, and he was a compulsive gambler. And so he said, "No chance, they're going undefeated." You can see there's flaws there. And I said, "I don't know, man. I I think they're going to do it." And so he said, "I'll tell you what, twenty dollar bet, and I'll give you twenty to one odds that that they don't do it." And I said, "Twenty to one odds." That they don't go undefeated. I said, "Yeah, I'll take that." And sure enough, every week they kept winning, kept winning, and he kept saying, "It's not going to happen." Not, and they did it. They went sixteen and zero, and um, he never paid me. And it it, it was friendship changing. I, I couldn't I couldn't look at him at the same way after that. And you know what? The main thing about it that always bothered me because he gave me such heavy odds, twenty to one odds. For some reason, he demanded that I give him the $20 up front, as if I wasn't going to be good for $20. So I gave him, so I was like, all right, fine. If that's what it's going to take to complete this bet, sure, I'll give you 20 bucks up front. So I did. He never even gave me back the original 20 that I fronted him for the bet. Bad dude. 
And it, and it, we were, I would say we were, you know, we were work friends at that point. We'd get a drink sometimes after work was let out or something like that. Not after that. Changed the way I looked at him forever. Did I ever meet him? No. This is a long time ago. He should have given you your money. That's ridiculous, man. Oh, yeah. Really low move. What do you have? Uh, my red card is uh, Ronaldinho. Um, this is something we probably should have talked about last week or the week before when it happened. But um, uh, Tom Herbert in the Evening Standard uh, attempts to answer the question, why is Ronaldinho in prison? Uh, Ronaldinho, 39, is currently in prison after he allegedly en- entered uh, Paraguay with a false passport alongside his brother, Roberto, aged 49. The pair were arrested on March 6th on suspicion of entering the South American country with fake Paraguayan documents, but they denied the charge. His lawyer claims Ronaldinho did not know the documents were fake and instead were given to him as worthless, honorary-type document by a local sponsor, according to The Sun. Prison warden Blas Vera told Reuters, in broad terms, he's doing very well. I see he's in good spirits. Just like you see him on television, always smiling. Since yesterday, he looks very well. He talks to his other inmates. He goes out to the patio. According to the Paraguayan newspaper Hoy, Ronaldinho was convinced to join a prison futsal match while behind bars and played a starring role as he scored five and set up another six goals. I love the detail. Scored five, but don't make sure everyone knows about the way I, I assisted on the other six. All right, I want this on my record. According to reports, Ronaldinho could face up to six months in prison. He and his brother have both been denied bail. The footballing legend had to spend his 40th birthday behind bars at the weekend where he celebrated with a barbecue. This is just so weird, man. Like, why is he traveling on false documents? False Paraguayan documents. Like, you, you're, use your own passport to get into the country. Like, I, I know, is he like a spy? I mean, no. He would be the worst spy in the world. Yeah. That's like that's like all those people who think Jackie Chan was undercover. You know, he went undercover for the for for somebody. Like, yeah, let's have the most famous Chinese person in the world. Wasn't that the joke on The Office? <laughs> yeah, insane. Uh, yeah, is that it for you? Uh, yeah, I I really don't think I've answered the question why he's. He's in prison, but yeah, traveling and false documents is going to get it done. Uh, let's see. My man of the match now, JJ. I admit, uh, in this time when you're seeing such generosity, you know, I saw Pep Guardiola just uh, announced that he would give a, a, a million, uh, what, a million pounds to the uh, coronavirus relief effort. You're seeing this left and right. I have gone with maybe my lamest man of the match yet, but you know what? It's something that I just, I was so excited about, I couldn't keep it in, and I figured I'd share it with all of you. Um, my man of the match goes to fbref.com, as in footballreference.com. Because, JJ, when it comes to checking stats, American sports fans are all firmly aware of websites like profootballreference.com or probasketballreference.com or, of course, baseballreference.com. And now, after a series of large-scale updates in the past week, fbref.com is no joke. And it's now loaded with statistical coverage for a massive portion of men's and women's soccer, both club and international. Now, I'm not doing this because we're paid by them. In fact, I don't know if ESPN might even consider themselves competition of websites like that because we have stats on ESPN FC. Uh, I am doing this purely as a PSA to our listeners because I feel like maybe you have found the same in weeks when we're researching stuff that we want to talk about on the show. I feel like finding extensive soccer statistics in one 
kind of like easy to digest place is weirdly difficult. Different sites have different goal totals. Layouts are weird, but this is now a comprehensive site with really detailed stats that goes deep. It's got all of your, your XG stuff in addition to your more like traditional stats, uh, detailed stats. And it's a brand that is trusted by American sports fans. Baseballreference.com has been like the place to get baseball stats for as long as I can remember. FBref.com, soccer stats made simple. I'm going to work for them. That's my pitch. Um, I, I mean, that is one of your most lame. Yeah, I know, I know. But yeah, I, I need people to know. I need people to know that, like, if you've been looking for soccer stats and you, you, like me, feel like it's hard to find them, well, God is smiling upon you. Yeah. Andrew, that is, that's a cry for help from you, okay. seriously. <laughs> if that's the best you can come up with, my God, what's wrong with you? I'm trying to help people. This is the best way I know how. Some people donate time, money. No, no, no. I, I share websites that provide statistical analysis of soccer. I mean, you're actually phoning it in now. But no, this is the opposite of phoning it in. I could have easily – there were so much easier, more obvious ones out there I could have gone with. Phoning it in. I can't even look at you right now. You're pathetic. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, what's yours that's so special? Uh, this is from ESPN. The players at Union Berlin – have agreed to go without their wages after the Bundesliga club said that the stoppage caused by the coronavirus pandemic had left it in a, quote, extraordinary and difficult situation. Like football around the world, the Bundesliga has been suspended because of the global health crisis, depriving clubs of much of their revenue for possibly months. The first team football department has agreed to waive their salaries, the club said in a statement on Wednesday, although it did not say how long this would last. The club's managers and employees have also agreed to part-time working arrangements, which will also result in salary cuts. At the same time, we are putting together to prepare for a full-time resumption of Bundesliga operations at any time. Union Berlin were based in the former East Germany, went into the third tier following German reunification and were promoted to the Bundesliga for the first time last season. Club president Dirk Zingler described the situation as exceptional. Our club's purpose is football. If it ceases to exist, then it will touch the core of our existence, he said. The management, our staff, the squad and backroom staff have worked hard in recent months to ensure success in the Bundesliga. Now they are giving up a lot of money to get through this crisis together. Union Berlin have enjoyed a respectable debut season in the Bundesliga and are 11th in the 18-team table with 30 points from 25 games. Um Look, tough decisions have to be made. I know my hometown club uh, in the League of Ireland ceased, um, basically ceased pay, pay, paying players and staff and laid everybody off. They'll take them all on again when the season restarts, but they're unable to play anybody now. But um, everybody kind of being on the one page and understanding that the future of the club and the future uh of the club when when football resumes is like really important. I don't know. It's just a there's a sense of community. I can't see. I couldn't see a Premier League team doing something like this. I just. Oh, well, we'll see. We'll see if that happens. I'm not making any. Well, no, it won't happen in the Premier League because basically there's no club that will be in that uh, in position in the Premier League. Um, look at the money that's a what. Premier League just doesn't struggle in these kind of areas, Andrew. It's certainly not in terms of cash flow. Yeah. Well, good shout by you. Uh, I guess that's kind of a good note to end the podcast on because I'll say this. I'll be honest with you, obviously you, JJ, one of my closest friends, but everybody who listens to um, this is not like a feeling that I usually have, but I'll tell you like this whole 
everything going on right now, I'm nervous about all this. Like these are really uniquely weird times. Uh, and kind of like what we talked about last week, we are more than almost anything that I can remember in my lifetime. We are truly all in this together. So like we said last week, let's look out for one another, take care of one another. Let's just all be smart with how we go about this. You know, life will resume back to normal one day, but we're going to have to go through some really, truly difficult days to get to that point. And just remember that, you know, other people are having a bad day too. reach out to your friends, reach out to your family. People are going to want to hear your voice. They're going to want to FaceTime with you, know that you're doing all right. Um, and let's all just get through this together one day at a time. It's these, this is weird, man. This is all just really weird, but we'll, we'll get through it. No, I concur. I'd echo those words as well. And, um, look, you see people in, uh, and, and you hear stories of, of people working unbelievable long hour shifts in hospitals, particularly in New York city right now, trying to, trying to get on top of this thing. And, uh, yeah, we all have our part to play. And it, like I said before, the patriotism we can show right now is by staying at home and staying away from other people. Yep. So, hey, I'm going to need your help on this one, JJ, because I don't, I have some things with me, but I don't have everything. So I'm going to tell you right now. Um, I hope you have a good night. And can you tell me that thing that uh, fake Jurgen likes to say? Oh, for sure, Andrew. Check you later, fun boy. See ya. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. Thank <laughs> you.